Good morning. I'm Jacob. I'm a anchor here at OCC, and I serve on the First Impressions team. Please stand and join me for an Advent reading. The third candle is the candle of joy. What are we to do if Christmas is an occasion for stress or sorrow? It is tempting to put on a smile and push through the festivities without bringing other people down. However, a serious consideration of Advent causes us to long for more than mustering a smile or faking it. We long for authentic joy, but how do we get it? As opposed to any false sense of joy that we try and acquire for ourselves, it is important to establish a fundamental principle about joy. That is, joy is not acquired, but experienced. Meaning, much like grace, joy is a gift we receive. Joy is a response to God's free grace. We can't control it, manufacture it, or tell it what to do. We can't be bought at a, it can't be bought at any price. Advent is a journey to joy, but it is not we who are traveling. Joy is coming to us. The joy that drove Jesus to earth to be born in a manger, to be persecuted, and to be killed on the cross is the redemption of his church. Advent beckons us to slow down and to look to Jesus, who delights in us to the point of his own death, so that our joy may be complete in him. Now please join me in a reading from Luke 2, verses 10 through 14. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So good, you guys can be seated. Thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word. Love being in uh, this season and being in Luke too. Uh, it's, it's just amazing, you know, it's one of the things when you think about joy, uh, it, it seems like a very broad thing. I mean, it just seems, uh, you know, it's, it's the third week of Advent, uh, and I think everybody has a sense of what it is, uh, but it is one of those things that uh, it's, it's, it's hard to define. Um, and I don't know that we quite understand um, how much it is woven into the fabric of Scripture. I mean, it is all over the place. And I was thinking about uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the, you know, the difference between joy and happiness, but not separate them or divorce them completely because I think they are woven together. Uh, but I was just thinking about this this morning, um, just how things hit people differently and different things bring different people joy. When I was in college ministry, uh, we had, you know, we, we grew from kind of a small crew to a pretty substantial group of people that used to be in my house in Riverside. And uh, for our our ugly sweater Christmas party, we decided uh, kind of at the last minute to go caroling with 50 people, um, which is awesome. And I think in your neighborhood, my neighborhood, it probably, um, you would, you would be, you'd probably get a rate of about 95% enjoyment. Um, but I don't know if you, any of you know the community of Riverside, 
very well. Um, but we were about 50-50. And I mean, they were pretty extreme. I mean, it was, and it, just imagine, and we, we, we sang, we, instead of coming in and doing, George, to scare people, joy to the world, uh, we did, oh, come let us adore him. Like, we, we sang uh, that today, you know, come all you faithful. Uh, we just started out with, oh, come let us adore him, uh, which is maybe presumptuous in Riverside that anybody wants to adore, adore Jesus. Um, and some people were super excited and happy. Uh, and some people dropped F-bombs the entire time we sang. Um, and so some, some of it brought joy uh, to some people. And, uh, but for many people in that area, it didn't. Uh, but it, it kind of makes me kind of want to dig in and, and really look for the universal joy that we, we really read it. I mean, I think sometimes we will have a reading and we'll do our Advent reading, we gloss over that, but tucked into that reading and tucked into Luke 2 really is the, the key to having joy, like really experiencing joy. And there's nobody on planet Earth that doesn't want it, but like I said, it's all across the landscape of Scripture from right, right off the bat, just to look at Psalm 4, 7. It says, you have put more joy in my heart, speaking of God, than they have in their grain, and, uh, their grain and wine abound, when their grain and wine abound. In other words, there's more joy coming from God than the things that we can see tangibly here on earth. Psalm 1611, you make known the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus tells us that in John 15, 11, starting in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will, and you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants us to have, God wants us to have completeness of joy. And then we just read, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy, not just for a few people, not just for half the people in Riverside, but for all the people in Riverside and the world. Over, on average in, in the translations, over 180 times, and I think in the King James where it's a little more joyful, uh, it's probably 225 the actual term joy is used, but the, the, the derivatives of joy are innumerable across the landscape of scripture. In the, in the New Testament, um, every New Testament author uh, mentions joy. I think in 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament, um, there are themes of joy woven into them. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the chief end of man. I like the, 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 the edited version by John Piper, the chief end of man to glorify God by what? Enjoying him forever. Jesus wants us to have completeness of joy. So how do we get that? Like I, th I think about, if you were to guess as human beings, like as people that, are, that live in 2022, if we were to compare uh, from 2015 to now, and you know I've, I've looked the statistics up, are we, are we happier and more joyful now or were we happier in 2015? Anybody? I, I mean, I've heard a lot of 2015. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, almost every study that I looked up that the, the happiness quotient, um, if there would be one, we could get into that, but I'm not gonna go there this morning um, in my Psychology Today uh, journals. Um, but we are, we are not as happy as we used to be. We are not as joyful. And again, I don't completely separate joy and happiness. I think sometimes we do that in sermons to say, you know, joy is this indestructible thing. Happiness is this fleeting and fragile thing. But I think it's a little more complex than that. So yes, that is true. So I wanted to find kind of so we can get 
you know, see kind of the Venn diagram of happiness and joy uh, as we dig into this. And if you got your Bible, we'll be in Philippians chapter two in this, actually the same passage we were in last week as we talked about peace, because joy is woven into, this is, these things are not really set. We, we talk about Advent and we talk about hope. We talk about peace. We talk about joy. We talk about love, but those things are really pulled together in the person of Jesus and they are, they are so woven. I mean, our hope is, we start out with hope as kind of the launching pad of all of these things that we want, right? All of these things that, that Jesus brings that we're anticipating, the, the waiting season of Advent. We're, we're hoping for peace. We're hoping as people for joy. Certainly, we're all hoping for love um, and we land on who Christ is uh, at the end of Advent. But as we dig in and we look uh, at, at kind of this difference. Happiness, if you look it up uh, in the dictionary, Webster's or another dictionary, the, the, the kind of the average definition would be a feeling or state of being happy. That's kind of the obvious one. I, I like this, a, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. I mean, that kind of gets down to the root of happiness, a pleasurable, and in, in that you already know that happiness is, we, we don't always, we're not always in satisfying experiences. We're not always in pleasurable experiences. And I was thinking about the things, when I think about happiness, well, I mean, I almost did, did it again and you, people would have been like, he does this every year, he plays a clip from Elf. Um, and I almost did, you know, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell makes me happy, I don't know, just when he walks, he's one of those people that before he even says anything, he walks into a scene and you're already going, <laughs> he's funny, getting ready to do something funny, you know? But when he just screams, Santa! When he sees him or thinks it's Santa in the department store and he freaks out, uh, I mean, it's just, it embodies uh, joy. But I always think of laughter, like when it's one of those things. In fact, laughter, when, if you do study and you get into the social psychology circles and the medical circles talking about you know, what, what's happening in the body. God actually created you for happiness. I just want you to know that. Like the way that your body is, it functions. And the cocktail of happiness has serotonin in it, has oxytocin in it, dopamine. A lot of the things that we try to you know, create artificially are found in the experiences that are possible on planet Earth. And it's, it's interesting that laughter is it really kind of pulls together that cocktail of chemicals in the brain where we experience things, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the endorphins, the serotonin, smiling does that. Um, actually, I, non, I, I, this is an interesting one, um, non-intimate hugging actually does that. Like if you hug for like 20 seconds, it, you release endorphins, dopamine, non-intimate guys. Just want you to know, that's, you know, the wife's probably looking at you, did you hear that? Snuggle time tonight for you. Um, <laughs> Non-intimate hugging, it, it, it releases endorphins, the same ones that laughter. Food, of course, uh, is one of, those thing, one of those things. My wife says that all the time, like you are not happy when you're hungry. Uh, you know, it's kind of a common buzzword, a hangry. Um, I definitely come home. Sometimes I, I'm one of those people that forgets to eat. It's not that I don't love food. It's just I get, I'm a head down, you know, focused person. Um, and can miss things throughout the day. Um, just like I can miss exits that I'm supposed to turn on. I'm just, I do that. Sometimes I'll just miss food and I'll get home and Beth will just look at me almost before I say anything, but usually I'm already starting to say something. And she's like, you need to eat, you know, <laughs> get that boy some cheese, uh, something. Here's a cracker, here's some cheese, you need to eat. Um, and I, I've started to think about like scientifically, and I think this is very spiritual as well, that, um, you know, the clean eating and, you know, the, the, just the advent of, you know, kale being a normal thing is the reason that we are not as happy in 2022. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we need to get back to, um, it's just, I mean, I think I saw this somewhere on the internet that, you know, you, the lettuce and, and green things, you know, when you leave them out, 
they get uh, brown and moldy and kind of soggy. Cookies don't do that. Um, so we should eat more of that. In fact, 80% of the serotonin in your body is found where? It's in your stomach. So that makes sense. So that's happiness. There is an actual, and, and I would say this, like I think sometimes we can get into the zone as we read scripture and you think about joy and that it's across the landscape of scripture. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to be happy. Um, it, I mean, that shouldn't be the driving situation. Like I divorced my wife because God wants me to be happy. I mean, that would be tragic. But it doesn't mean that God didn't create you for pleasure. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, the, the, and, and that's why I say don't divorce joy from happiness because I think they're, they're bound together. But joy is, is different. Um, when you think about happiness, um, Blaise Pascal says it this way. I think uh, this is so true. And, he, and he, the, the, the quote is much longer than this, but it kind of, it boils down to, to, to this. All men, being all men and women, um, seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. He talks about wars, whether you are somebody that wants to go to war or somebody that wants to remove themselves from being in a war, uh, the end result is the same. That there's something at the deepest part of us that is trying to figure out how to get to that place of happiness. There's something that God has created in us that draws us to those experiences. But there's also something woven into the fabric of the world that we live in and the brokenness that's here that reminds us that the, the happiness and the pleasure that we get down here is temporary, that it's not our home, that it is fragile, that there is a there is an end to it, that it is not everything. It is something. It gives, us, it gives us a glimpse of God's goodness, but it's not everything. So then there's, you know, I think about happy people or joyful people and what it looks like to, to bring joy. Like, I don't, I don't know if you, are there are people, there's people, I mean, I, I hate to say it, there's people that are more joyful than others and there's people that are happier. And I, I'm, I wanna look at what is it that makes the joyful person joyful? or even the happy person happy. I mean, who are those people in your life when you think of, just think about it right now, instantaneously. These are the people, they walk into the room and, or I just, when I see them on TV or when I experience them in life, they just bring joy. I mean, when you think about this, have those people enter your mind. I mean, I have a few in my life. I won't name them because I don't wanna hurt the people in my household that aren't the joy bringers. Um, I'm kidding, all my, my whole family, they're all a bunch of joy bringers. Um, but I think Jimmy Fallon, you know, he's one, I, he's just a joy bringer. He's one of those people, he's, he's more positive. You might be a, you know, a Jimmy Kimmel person, but I mean, he stands on, he's more cynical. And you know, I really think, you know, that's, Jesus doesn't like him as much. Um, but Jimmy Fallon's great. And, and he, when he gets in the combo with Justin Timberlake, it's like magic. I just think this, there's joy just explodes on the stage. And if you, that's not you and you're not, you know, you just arrived to planet earth, go look them up on, on you're, you're having a bad day. Go just look them up. Look at Justin Timberlake's first, um, you know, sketches on Saturday Night Live. I mean, amazing. And so me, I'm one of those people that starts up here in, in research and thinking about something like happiness and joy as I dig into scripture and kind of move out and say, okay, what is, how do we get this on the ground and, and in life? for Derek and his family, for the church. What, is it, what does it look like? I get into the, you know, you go into the rabbit hole in research and I started thinking about the Enneagram. Is it, is it, I mean, most people know what the Enneagram is. Let's give me a, give me a show of hands so I know that I'm not, I don't have to do a lot of a sum. Okay, 
Enneagram, for those other people that didn't raise your hands or ones that just didn't want to because you didn't put on deodorant. Um, if the Enneagram is, is a per, like a personality, it was invented a, a long time ago. I mean, it kind of got into prominence in the 70s and just reemerged. Um, but there's nine types, right? I think I'm not as familiar with the Enneagram as other people. I do know my Enneagram numbers because my sister-in-laws and my wife, that's just what they like to do on a Friday night is just peg you with Enneagram questions to try to figure out what you are. Um, but there's all these personality types. People know what, the, a lot of people in the room probably know what your personality type is. Um, so I wanted to know, is there a personality type that's more joyful or the, the happiest? Like, is there one? And so for you Enneagram people, everybody else that didn't, didn't raise their hand, you don't have to answer, you can just listen. What number do you think is the, the, the joyful one? Seven. All you people are pretty confident. You think it's a seven. What does that say about the other people? That, I mean, are they just not? I mean, you just shamed all the twos are like, every two in here is like, are you kidding me? I am a joy bringer, it's what I do. So I make people happy, but you are not happy. That's the problem. The twos would like to bring the joy, but then they're upset because people aren't joyful with the joy that they bring, right? Enneagram people are laughing. Everybody else is like, man, this sermon's going so nowhere fast. It is. The seven, now they, the most studies, they, they, like any person that's in their right state, in their personality, they, they could have joy. Um, but definitely, and the seven, for those that don't know the Enneagram, the reason these people are saying this um, the closest thing we can find in the Enneagram happy type would be the sevens. Those who have the type seven Enneagram are known as the enthusiast. As the name says it all, they, they fit this bill. Enthusiasts are incredibly passionate about life and they are looking forward to an adventure. Now listen, this is what I think is, is key and made me want to, okay, let's get back into scripture and see if there's any validity to this because we want to filter what we, what we grab in life whether it's psychology today or Enneagram, and we wanna filter it through the Bible. We don't wanna do the opposite and find what we think is true and then see if the Bible lines up with it. We wanna filter what we find in the world through the Bible um, and you know, see, what, see what comes out the other side um, because we believe that it is the filter and it is accurate. But the Enneagram, it says they are looking for adventure and they find ex excitement in anything. I think that's a, that's a key. I'm thinking, okay, what does that mean? They find excitement, they get excited, they have joy in anything. <clears throat> Sevens are fun to be around, they're encouraging, they're happy to be alive, they're incredibly grateful, and they love to show you why everything is awesome, right? I mean, that is the Enneagram seven. So I do think they, if, if I was gonna get around it in some way, <clears throat> excuse me, that would be the one that would be the joyful Enneagram type. But as we dig in, I wanna look at Philippians chapter four because I wanna see in scripture when we were looking at this idea, because I think anybody in the room would love to have a culture of joy in their household, a culture of joy in their world and be around joyful people, but themselves experience joy. The apostle Paul in Philippians, which is considered the book of joy, like he writes it from a different tone uh, than many of the other epistles. The other epistles are written for corrective action, there's something going on, there's something amiss, there's something that's not good that's going on in that particular church. But Philippians, he's really expressing his love and how much joy they bring him. And he mentions joy many times throughout the book of Philippians. But in Philippians chapter four, the passage we were in is he's, is he's kind of winding down and he's talking about being joyful and being content in all circumstances. He's saying it's possible and he's reassuring them that, hey, I'm so thankful that you've given me the things that you've given me, the love you've given me, the provision you've given me, but 
I've got something bigger, more sturdy, more foundational than that. And he says this to them. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we talked about peace last week in this transcendent peace. We talked about the idea of prayer and how that we wanna put our requests, we wanna take the things that are giving us non-peace, making, you know, creating chaos for us and lay them at the feet of Jesus. But there were some pieces in here that we didn't dig down and talk about, and some of them are the derivative of joy and, re and rejoice. Because he says it twice, and then he talks about how we attain joy, and he talks about thanksgiving. Thank you, appreciate that. Did my mother tell you to do that? It's <laughs> something she would do. She would text Aaron and go, give him water now. Where's my mom? I see you back there. She's like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, man. You know, it's funny thinking about joy and uh, circumstantial joy, you know, and, and happiness versus an indestructible kind of joy. Um, you know, this morning, uh, it, it just seemed like things weren't going right. Um, I don't know if that ever, ever happens in your world, um, but in the church world, it does. I love that people don't really think about lighting that much until it's not in the right spot. Like during worship, during the first song, everybody's looking up going, why are the lights so bright? <laughs> and some of you have no, you're not lighting people, not production people, but you knew. You're like, hey, it's not. It's, and then when it was all right and then thing, like, all right, we can worship now. <laughs> so, okay. Coffee was down, right? What's interesting about that, I was talking to Aaron, like when we were singing... Uh, joy to the world, and then we transition to joyful, we adore thee. I mean, I don't know, something just had, like, I, I, when I think about transcendent joy, I just started thinking about Jesus, and there was something that, that transcended all of the, I wonder why the lights aren't right, I wonder why none of the coffee got made, people are like, you know, I can't even focus on Jesus without coffee, um, and you start thinking about just the little things that, you know, they shouldn't be a big deal, but they, they tend to get in your, in your mind, and then all of a sudden we're singing, you know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And my heart just was full. And I was like, why am I about to cry? I don't know. Um, but there's, there's joy. And the joy that the Apostle Paul is talking about when he's telling them twice to rejoice, he is encouraging them and he encourages them all throughout. I'll just look, if we look at Philippians, I don't know if we have this graphic. I put it on here. I'm, I'm, I forgot to ask in, in pre-production. But do you have the graphic with all of the joy stuff from Philippians? Yes, you do. Why don't you put it up there? It's fantastic. Not that one. Sorry. There's another one in there. It's okay. I'll, I'll just tell you, if you've got your Bible, and you can write this in the reference and just put, like if you're writing notes and sermon on joy, Philippians, this is how many times we see it. In 1.4, Paul talks about praying with joy. In 1.18, he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. That's a derivative of joy. In 1.25, he says he will remain living on earth for the, for the Philippians, joy and faith. He's like, I'm gonna be here for your joy. And two, two he, he asks the Philippians to complete his joy, 2, 17 and 18, he's glad, which you got a little happiness and gladness in there, right? And rejoices with the Philippians. 2, 28, he sends Epaphroditus and the Philippians uh, that the Philippians might rejoice. So somebody comes to them that uh, is, is good news for them and they've got joy. 
tells the Philippians to receive Epaphroditus with joy, tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord as we get into chapter three, tells the Philippians that they are his joy in 4.1, tells the Philippians twice to rejoice in the Lord, the passage we just read, and then in 4.10, rejoiced in the Lord that the Philippians were concerned for him. He was happy that people cared about him. So across this, this book and really across all of scripture, there's this, this tone that maybe we forget about who God is that in our leaning towards him, because everything is about, like the, we, we, I said, the chief end of man is that we would glorify God, that our lives would be about him, that we would glorify God. But the, the essence of that is that, that in that, the way that we glorify God is that we would enjoy him, that the object of our joy would be him. So the question that I wanna answer just quickly from Philippians chapter four, um, and from scripture is how do we cultivate joy? Because that's what I want. Like I wanna, I wanna know how to, and, and if joy is the more transcendent and the more sturdy type happiness that we wanna have, and I'll just give you a couple of, like when I, when I talk about joy, I wanna give you just a couple of definitions. Um, one is from John Piper. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. And I think that's, that's probably what I experienced when we were singing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Just a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And I love that. And there's another, I love this, this definition because it gets, it, it dives a little bit deeper. Um, joy is a durable, permeating gratitude rooted in unchanging circumstances. Happiness is, is rooted in circumstances that could change at any moment, things that are fragile. But, but joy is permeating. It, it, it drifts into all areas of life through gratitude rooted in unchanging circumstances. So joy is, is different in that way. Like I said, I think the, the, the Venn diagram would be a good way to describe it is that, you know, there, you can have, joy can be the launching pad for pleasure and happiness but joy doesn't need the things that happiness brings for us to have it. It's, there's something deeper. So for me, I wanna know how do we cultivate joy, like the sturdy version, the, the, the type that's, that, that transcends experience on planet Earth. It's not dependent on money. It's not dependent on the person that makes me laugh. It's not dependent on a relationship. It's not dependent on all things going well. It's not dependent on cheese. Uh, it's not dependent on all of these things on planet earth that can make us happy, that are gifts from God, but joy, there's a deeper, broader, permeating gratitude that's rooted in something that is indestructible. And that's the joy that we're talking about in Luke 2. That's the joy that the apostle Paul's talking about in Philippians, that there's this joy that is rooted in the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So how do we cultivate joy? Well, it's interesting, you know, before we even jump back into Philippians, I wanted to, to see if there's any, you know, like what does the world say about cultivating joy? And the world even says there's a difference between joy and happiness. Um, Brene Brown says this um, in some of her research. She says that we've learned that the most effective way to cultivate joy in our lives is to practice gratitude. The key word here is practice. It's not just about feeling grateful, it's about developing, developing an observable practice. So often we think that joy makes us grateful, when in reality, it's grateful, it's gratitude that brings us joy. And that makes, that makes some sense to me. 
Now, I, I wanted to dig a little deeper. I'm like, okay, it's, it's Brene Brown. And I, again, whenever I use something like that, I always think, do I, is now, now am I gonna go read everything that Brene Brown writes and say, that's the gospel? No, I always go back to, to scripture and I would definitely say that it's not. And then here we go in Harvard Health. In positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps us feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improves health, deals with adversity, and builds strong relationships. So there's this link, and I, I mean, I found it over and over in Psychology Today, I got the same thing, that there's this really strong link between gratitude and joy. So for me, I'm like, okay, I, I'm finding some things. I see joy in scripture. I see joy in the world. Now I see that there's a link between gratitude and joy. Is that true? Maybe that's, they're finding it scientifically or in psychology circles. Did, did, was, was God attuned to that, you know, all along? You know, that's the, the, the question that I've got to ask. So for me, when I think about how do we cultivate joy, well, we're finding out, at least in the world, that our present gratitude helps us cultivate joy. So that's our, our first point is present gratitude. But I wanna, you know, in terms of our theorem here, I wanna look at the word joy in scripture and the derivatives of joy so that we know, okay, this is, this is actually a true theorem in the Bible. And as we study the Bible, we look at this, these, these passages and we take joy from Luke 2, and I wanna take rejoice from Philippians chapter four and the other references to joy in Philippians and look at the root of the word joy. So you know, you came and you're gonna get a little bit of a theology lesson. So let's look at joy real quick and as we define it. So we've got the, the transliteration, so the, the way that it begins to find its way down into the Koine Greek in scripture would be this kara or, or share, like it's, if you think about charity, um, that's, that's kind of the, the, the base or the root word. The definition we kind of, we know is like joy and delight. The usage that we see in scripture um, especially in, the, in these particular places in Philippians 2 and in Luke 2 is joy, gladness, and the source of joy, which I, I, I appreciate that part of the definition because it gets down a little deeper to not just the joy itself, but the source of joy. Now the cognate, which would be the, the where was it derived, looks a little bit more like what you see there, the, the, the kara or the chara. So it's from the root. And so what, it, what, what this root means, so when you've got this base, this is where the word was derived from. So when you look at joy in scripture and you look at, you drizzle it down and say, okay, what, where, what other word was the launching pad for the word? That would be the cognate. That's there, so the root. To extend, and this one means to extend favor or be favorably disposed, awareness of grace. And in the context of scripture, awareness of God's grace. So we're starting to feel the gratitude, aren't we? So the root, now listen, this is pretty crazy and awesome and cool because Brene Brown and Harvard Health are just finding this out, you know, in 2010, you know, that gratitude and joy are, are linked together. I mean, in the studies that we find, those are the, some of the earliest studies that I found. This is the Bible and way, way earlier built into the the Greek word, the cognate, and look, we can look at the um, etymological link, which would be the historical base and root, is grace, to extend favor, awareness of God's grace. This etymological link, which would be the historical link. So the history of, if we go back to the history of the word, these are all commonalities. You get K, 
charis, which is the word for grace that you see, like in Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That is the word that you find at the base. See the X-A-R right there? The cognate is in there. Joy, the one we see joy through across the New Testament so many times. You've got that. You, do you see this? You just even visually see the similarities, but the base, the history of the word starts with gratitude and grace, which I think is unbelievable. So when you look at joy, exactly what Brene Brown said, that joy, we don't have gratitude because of joy. Oh, this experience made me so happy. Now I have gratitude. No, it starts with, it's rooted in the good news. It's rooted in the, the thing that you received that you did not purchase. It's rooted in grace, particularly in context in scripture, the grace of God. And when we look at what the apostle Paul's saying in Philippians chapter four, just pull that, pull that just, I don't know if we've got just that verse in verse four where you can pull the whole passage up. Yeah, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. He's saying, he's, he's, it's, it's full of gratitude there. And you almost understand it. It's like, I'm rejoicing because of something. Rejoice in the Lord. I'm grateful because of the Lord. And in that, I'm going to have joy. But not only that, part of that, the way that that word is structured, it's the outward expression of joy. So there's something to, not just the, the, the fact that it's gratefulness that is the thing that we need to cultivate and gratitude and a, and a sense or understanding of God's grace, but it's also the expression, being people that are able to express joy. One of the things, and think about this, let's go back to Enneagram chapter, the, the sevens. I love you sevens. Sevens are the best at expressing joy and they're known as the happiest. Sevens are the ones that seem to be circumstantially in all, like they, they find excitement, what did it say, in anything, in any situation. They, they seem to look around, absorb the world and say, wow, I'm grateful. And therefore, out of that gratefulness, what? Joy. That's not an idea that the world created. It's an idea literally woven into the fabric of the word of God in its base form. And we miss it in the English. I'm not saying that we all have to, every time we read the Bible, pull out your Greek lexicon. Um, I, I'm saying it, there are times when it makes sense for us to dig down below the surface, to find the gems that God's displaying for us when it comes to something like joy, because it's something that we all want, that, God's, that he's wired into us. And now we've got the added bonus of the outward expression of joy. It's interesting, C.S. Lewis talks about the way that we enjoy God or the way that we enjoy, like he's, he's speaking of, it's a, it's, a, it's a book on the Psalms and it's a book on worship. And C.S. Lewis struggled with the Psalms because he said it's, it feels like it's like an old lady, you know, needing compliments and that God just wants to be, you know, showered with compliments. And then he realizes as his theology develops that God doesn't need any of those things that worship is for our benefit. And the way that he says it's for our benefit is this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's, it is its appointed consummation. 
He's saying the, the beautiful thing about worship, the beautiful thing about rejoicing and gratitude and, and being able to say it and have it land on somebody is we actually enjoy that. And God wired you and I to experience joy in our gratefulness, in worship, saying, oh my goodness, look what you have done. Oh my goodness, look what I'm experiencing. We don't stop there and leave it planted in our heart without it coming out of our mouth. Does that make sense? Like that's when we enjoy it. I like to tell people when I'm enjoying something. Like I, I, when I surf, it's so funny when people are getting a good wave. I, I think it's like, it's an autonomic response. People just go, yeah, and other people are just, yeah, doing it back. They don't even know why. It's just autonomic response. I'm enjoying, it's not like, hmm, in my mind, I'm enjoying this wave. No, they can't help it. You know, recently, and I know this won't make everybody happy, but when Florida State so gloriously beat the Gators, I was by my, yeah, come on, let's do it right here. Um, I was at home alone. I'd come back a day early uh, from the farm. I have no idea why for any of you um, that heard my story last week. Um, but I came home a, a day early and I've watched the game by myself, which I know it's sad, but I, in my pride, I like to watch it by myself and not hear anything. I'm like, I can't watch it, you know, at a sports bar or with a bunch of people. Cause I'm like, shut up. I'm trying to hear every little detail. Um, so I'm by myself and I'm watching the game, which is sad because I so wanted to express my joy. Um, and I did, I was so loud by myself. I could not, and, and what's interesting is I so wanted other people to hear me, I literally would walk outside and go, woo! And I thought, now this is kind of funny. Um, my neighbors are, they graduated from Florida State. FSU fans are young guys, uh, commercial real estate guys, super nice. Um, and I thought they were at home. They had, there was a, I saw a big screen in the back, like inflatable. I was like, oh, they're watching the game. Uh, and I would go outside every once in a while, you know, do the shop, you know, because I know they look out the window, look back there, and they usually, and they were kind of real quiet. Um, and I didn't know why. And at the end of the game, so much I wanted to uh, rejoice and express my joy and gratitude for um, the win is I put the, uh, the war chant, uh, like, you know, the, the marching chiefs as loud as it possibly could go. I got these new speakers because my house is renovated. I literally, I think people all the way to Penman could have heard it. Um, it was as loud as it could be. You know? It's like, ah! And I thought my neighbors would enjoy it. And I literally saw a guy jump to the top of the screen and rip it down. Well, I found out later that they had Airbnb'd their place to Gator fans. Um, so it did not consummate their joy. I thought I might go over and apologize, but I did not. Um, but there is something about gratitude, like seeing things like um, I, I you know, I surf in, in Florida, which is not, I mean, we don't have the best surf in the world. Jacksonville certainly doesn't have the best surf. But I was out the other day, and I was t sitting with a guy um, that I surfed with, you know, just friends just being in the water. Um, and the sun was setting, and the moon was coming up, the sky was beautiful, it was a nice night. The surf was just okay. And I often am out there, and you hear guys complain about, ah, oh, surf sucks, you know, I don't even know why I'm out here. Um, and we, we both got into the conversation of, man, it is December, and the water's kind of warm. That's the most beautiful sky I've ever seen. The water's kind of clear. It's 78 degrees and we're sitting on a board in the water and we live here. And we just had this, both were having this conversation about how, you know, how grateful we were, you know? People were kind of nice and we were at the pier, which can be rare. Um, and and there, there was joy. And partly because we were, our focus was on the things that we've got. Like the, the and I think, the, the mistake that we can make, it's the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter one. 
He's like, people have made a tragic error. They have, they've, they've landed in, in their life and they've started to worship, worship the created things rather than the creator. They've not let their life roll up to seeing where all of this came from. And I think from a common grace standpoint, you wanna cultivate joy, take the common grace, which would be the food that you eat, the wine that you drink, the sunsets and the moonrises that you experience when you're surfing on the water, the, the moments where you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, the moments you spend at Christmas with your children and you, you have this moment and snapshot in your mind, you take these common graces and you let your life, you let your heart, because your gratitude, as C.S. Lewis says, this consummation of your joy, it needs to land somewhere. And, and God is the reason that you're experiencing those things. The goodness of God falls on the follower of Jesus and the pagan alike. Like it's, it's common grace. Some of the beautiful things that we experience, but they all come down from the father of heavenly lights. He is, he is the one that's given us those things. And you wanna experience joy, you thank Jesus every time you experience those things. When I, when I got out of the water and I, I have this you know, new thought in my mind, like I'm, I'm not just gonna leave that there with the guy I was surfing with and just like, oh yeah, that's great. I got this random day where things were great. No, Jesus, the, the creator and author of heaven and earth has allowed me to breathe and walk on earth another day and experience wonderful and beautiful things. Yes, on the other side of the fence, there's a bunch of things that, that Jesus will eventually redeem. But right now, I get these glimpses of his beautiful and wonderful grace and letting those things roll up to who he is and what he's done is so important. Well, this, the, the second thing, and, and the same, same thing is the gratitude currently for your salvation that we would worship, that we would come together in a place like this, that we would sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee, that we would say that he's, he's, he's worthy of us, that he's our author, our maker, our redeemer. He's the one that can heal. He's the one that can restore to proclaim and to, to, to present gratitude for our salvation, for what he's done for us. We also wanna look at future gratitude. That's number two. So not only is our present gratitude, but future gratitude. So the Apostle Paul, one of the reasons that he was so content is that he's like, you know, what, what I'm experiencing down here is a micron compared to the, the eventual and the future, the weight of glory that is waiting for me after I die. And I was thinking about this idea of, of when we think about something that's possible, when we see something and we're like, okay, this is valuable and I can invest in it now and this might happen in the future, um, we, we, we put our money there, right? Like I, if I know something is valuable, if I know this is the place that I need to put my heart, my soul, my money, my finances, and we see that like, we're like, okay, if I do this, then I get this massive thing. I'm gonna do that. You know, why isn't the rest of the world doing that? Anybody seen the, the Netflix original documentary, Pepsi, Where's My Jet? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't, it's, it's kind of funny and it's, it's, it's worth a little bit of time. Read your Bible first and then watch that. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because the guy sees, like there's the, it was a commercial, you grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s. You might remember Pepsi had Pepsi points and you could get jackets and cool stuff. And at the end of one of their commercials, it says 7 million points and it shows a kid landing a Harrier jet at his school, you know, like for 7 million points. And it was a joke, but they, Pepsi forgot the disclaimer. Well, which legally they have to do that or it can be considered an offer. Uh, so this kid, he was 20 years old. He was really bright and he was in college. He's like, 
okay, I'm gonna figure out how to get seven million. I'm getting myself a Harrier jet or the value of a Harrier jet. Uh, so the whole, the whole documentary is about him figuring out that 7,000 Pepsi points really is only $700,000 and a Harrier jet is worth 32 million. So I'm going to figure out a way to do that. Anyway, ends up, you know, taking Pepsi to court. Uh, it's, very, it's very interesting uh, how it all, it's in the law books now because it's so interesting. But the whole premise behind it is, here's something that's ridiculous. Like if this is possible, I'm willing to put my life here. Like if I could get this down the road, then I'm gonna find an investor and I'm going to, to, to put everything in it. Well, Jesus, when he's talking about joy, when he's talking about what's possible for you and me, he presents it the same way. He he says to us in Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A lot better than a Harrier jet. He says, which a man found and he covered it up. He found this amazing thing. He's like, man, I can't, what am I, what am I gonna do with this? I'm gonna bury it and put it in a field. And he says, then in his joy, same one, gratefulness, expressive joy. Woo! He goes and sells, goes to the pawn shop, got all his stuff that on, on planet earth, all the things that we think bring us happiness and joy. He says, none of this compares to what I've found. None of it. No money, no food, no experience. He's like, I'm gonna sell it all at the pawn shop and I'm gonna buy that field because that treasure is worth more to me. That treasure is worth more. And Jesus, what is he saying? He's saying, you guys don't understand, but I'm trying to help you understand that what I'm, I'm, what's coming and what, what I'm bringing to bear when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to being in relationship with me, which is the way to have a relationship with the Father, is worth everything. There's no, there's no joy that will compare with what is coming for you. It's the indestructible joy. It's trading something really small where you're at the center for Jesus and putting him in the place that he should be, that we might give him and let all of our gratefulness and gratitude for the grace that he's extended to us in the cross of Jesus Christ leading us home. And I say that because I think we, we spend our lives fighting for happiness. Blaise Pascal, theologian, mathematician, scientist, you know, pretty broad spectrum guy. We all do that in our brokenness, in our sin, in our, in our lack of knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we fight for happiness. We fight for peace. We fight for it. We, we, we try to put ourselves in a position. Maybe you're in a position now where you're, you're fighting, you've put yourself in the position as savior and you're fighting for relationships in your, in your family, with your, with your spouse or with your kids. And you're the one that's waging war because you just want it all to be okay. I want all this to be settled. I want, I want happiness. If, if, if all this can be fixed, then I'll be, for once, I'll be happy. And the tragedy in that is that there's no human, there's no relationship that's gonna, that's gonna make you happy ultimately. Yes, you could get temporary happiness, but it's fragile at best. But the beauty in what we're talking about today is that joy, this real gratitude-driven joy coming from the grace of Jesus himself is indestructible. And the beauty in joy is that you no longer have to be chained to or fight for happiness. Maybe it's money. You know, you're on the roller coaster of, we got money, we don't have money, we got money. 
and then we don't have money. Everything's okay. It's not okay. And we're on this emotional, crazy roller coaster because we're fighting for something that we think if we get this and we put this over here and we've, we've got this, then it's all gonna be okay. And it's what we tend to do as humans because we can see it, it's tangible and it has immediate results. Money in the bank account makes me happy. But happiness is fleeting. It's like sand through the fingers. It's gonna be gone. Where's that joy? How is it in all circumstances that I could be joyful? How could I be content in all circumstances? The, the apostle Paul says, he's like this, this joy, complete joy, this gratefulness, this outward expression of that gratefulness towards God landing on him is, is available to you whenever you want. And it comes through his grace, through his mercy. It is rooted in his un, the unchanging realities of Jesus, that he loves us, that he's for us, that he's in all of life to be in it with us. I don't know how you've come in to the room today and what your expectations are of this season, of where you are in life. But the, the beauty of today is that it, it, it doesn't just stand in this platitude of spiritual things. That Jesus himself, not Brene Brown or Harvard Health, Jesus himself in his word is laying practical and spiritual ways for us to bend our heart upward towards him. To set aside our pride and our dignity to outwardly instead of, you know, we will dance for a football team what about for Jesus and for what he's done? All of our gratitude, all of, think about just putting it, just trying it, like writing it in a journal and then maybe ex expressing it to, to human beings to sit around and say, this is why I'm grateful to Jesus. And it can be the common grace things. And certainly you want it to be the gospel of Jesus Christ that's, that's reunited you with the heavenly father. His blood poured out. And that in our heart, we would look down at all this and we could exhale and go, I'm so glad that he's better. All this is fleeting and fragile, but he'll remain forever. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Look what he's done to save me and rescue me. If I'm wondering if anybody loves me, there's some clarity in that when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's stand.